You're listening to the Road to the Garden podcast, presented by House Enterprise and in partnership with House of College Hoops. Head over to our site, house-enterprise.com, for more info. We've teamed up with SeatGeek this season to get you the best deals for tickets to your favorite team. SeatGeek takes the confusion out of buying tickets, and they're here to give you some great deals. Get in on the fun and head over to SeatGeek, download their app, and use code NCAA Hoops Digest for $20 off your first purchase. Good evening, Big East fans. Welcome into Road to the Garden. It's Matt St. Jean here with Tommy Godin. As we, we wrapped up the college basketball season this week, Tommy did it in fantastic fashion for the Big East with the Yukon Huskies winning a national championship in decisive fashion this weekend. How are you doing today, Tommy? I feel like a national champion, Matt. This is great. This is great for the conference, great for the first official year of Road to the Garden on our own. Um, yeah, one we- for one. One for one. I mean, <laughs> there's no better good luck charm than Road to the Garden. But amazing for the Big East, amazing for UConn. And, yeah, like you mentioned, that was one of the more dominant runs that we've ever seen. I mean, we're talking about, like, 96 Kentucky, 2009 North Carolina, um, maybe some other school on the main line. But um, I don't know about that. But, yeah. I mean, 2018 Villanova. I mean, it's – we got the, the last two Big East teams to win national championships here. Two of the most dominant runs I think we've ever seen. Yeah, what's that? Five in twenty-five years. I mean, they are the most dominant team in the last yeah, yeah, quarter century. Yeah. So yeah, I mean, I know there's a lot of discussion about whether or not UConn is a blue blood. We can we can have that discussion if you would like to on here. We're going to be talking about this weekend and our takeaways from it. We're going to look back at takeaways kind of from the whole season, some big picture stuff. And then we're going to start to turn the page and move into next season. Because believe it or not, uh, things are already happening. The portal is wide open at the moment. We're going to go probably a little bit deeper in the portal and who's moving, who's going where at another date. This is more so putting a bow on the end of the 2022-23 season. But we're going to start to go in that direction in this episode. But let's start with UConn. Because, I mean, other than a run by San Diego State to make it close and pull within a five in the second half, the Huskies were never threatened this entire weekend in the Final Four, never really threatened in the whole tournament, and never threatened outside of Big East play in general. Yeah, I mean, they played 17 games against teams outside of the Big East. Uh, They won all 17 games. Like, what an incredible stat that is. Testament to UConn, testament to the Big East and the level of competition there. We were talking about the Blue Bloods earlier. I think there are five solidified Blue Bloods in college basketball. Uh, Obviously, the North Carolina, Kentucky, Duke, UCLA, Kansas. I think they're all locked in as Blue Bloods. I think teams like Indiana, Villanova, and even UConn um, certainly knocking on the door. At the end of the day, I don't think it really matters, I, you know, what title you put on. But I mean, if for the sake of discussion, I would put uh, UConn and Villanova, for that matter, in the new bloods category. I like, I like that. I like the way you put that new bloods, because I think when people think blue blood, you think the schools that kind of you know, laid the foundation for modern college basketball. 
And I think there's a way to respect the legacy of that while also saying, hey, here's the school is doing it right now. And if you're talking about schools doing it right now, the Big East has two of them in Villanova and UConn. And I think you have an UConn has an argument to be both a blue blood and a new blood, depending on how you mm-hmm. want to define those. But they are, like you said, five in the last 25. They are one of the most dominant programs in that last quarter century here. And that's with a lot of down seasons in that mix, too. There's a lot of boomer busts for the Huskies. Especially when they leave the Big East, which I hope they don't <laughs> do again. But bad things happen when you go to the American Athletic Conference. Somebody needs to go save Houston. Get them in the Big 12 ASAP. They'll, they'll be there, and they'll, they're going to be in the, the Big East Big 12 battle. I didn't even mention that. We got that news officially today. We can talk about that, too. Some of the matchups uh, that we got out of that. Houston will be in there. Houston in the Big 12 is still kind of weird to me just doesn't there's some teams where they almost have like no conference affiliation in my mind like houston's one of them i just don't really you know another one maryland i still don't think of maryland as a big 10 school but i never really thought of them as an acc school so i just just kind of maryland no real thoughts that come from that (laughs) i can definitely see that i can see where they're coming from yeah but back to the big east uh i Jordan Hawkins fighting through the stomach bug this weekend is probably the story of this one uh, with how well he played 16 points in the national championship. He hit a couple huge buckets. He hit the the three that kind of let them start to pull away there at the end. But there's a lot of way. I mean, Tristan Newton was the highest scorer for UConn in the national championship. He had 19 points. He had, had a very up and down game. But the ups were huge and were a key part in the Huskies getting the win. Adama Sinogo, I think, showed what I mean, he showed why he was the preseason Big East player of the year, and he probably would have been Big East player of the year if UConn looked as good in conference play as it did in non conference play. Then I was really impressed by Andre Jackson. That was the thing that stood out to me because he had been up and down this season. And there were games where he was almost not unplayable, but he wouldn't be on the court because of foul trouble. And I think the last couple of weeks of the regular season, he found his groove again. And you saw all tournament long, just how much of a difference maker he can be. And uh, that guy is so talented. Yeah, he absolutely is. And I'm glad you brought him up. I'm glad you brought up Sonogo as well. But um, I want to talk about the guards again, go back to them. Jordan Hawkins, I mean, he averaged, like, what, five points last season? He's playing his way into a lottery pick this year. And Tristan Newton, after the game, uh, way past my bedtime, but I this literally, his quote, like, ooh, like, gave me a little burst. And, like, I loved it. He said, so I, I don't want to misquote him, but to paraphrase, he said, you know, everybody said UConn didn't have a real point guard. I'm not a real point guard. I don't care what you call me, but you have to call me a national champion. I love that from Tristan Newton. He stepped yeah. up on the biggest stage, as did Jordan Hawkins. And, I mean, things weren't always looking great for UConn. There was people, a cook a cook this offseason. There was a, a Corey lot. Corey Floyd. Corey Floyd, yeah. absolutely, leaving the program. A lot of people coming in. So um, to say that this was expected is outlandish for anybody. But, I, yeah. I mean, just hats off to Danny Hurley and everything he's accomplished this year. Yeah, and I think for me, the thing that makes this so interesting, um, I think Danny Hurley did a really impressive job of 
recognizing the flaws of some of the previous UConn teams and adjusting for this year. And I've ta- I think I've talked about this on the show before, but he gave an interview last year talking about how they wanted to be more four out and they wanted to be able to space the floor more this year so that Sunoco would have more space to work. And they also thought that having him would allow a four out attack to work better because you're just going to create more high low conflicts and all kinds of stuff. And the way they attacked the transfer portal you get Tristan Newton, you get Nahima Lin, you get Hassan Diara. All of them helped out and made up for a better and more experienced guard room than they would have had otherwise. Curly said, I'm going to go get a bunch of experienced guards who can do things well and can score. We're going to develop Jordan Hawkins. We're going to put Andre Jackson in a good spot. Joey Calcaterra in there too as a shooter. Just a guy yeah. who can do that. And then, all right, so you get shooters and Hawkins and Calcaterra. And Andre Jackson is just kind of an every, everything guy out there. A couple point guards who could really handle the ball and do what they wanted to do while still providing good defense. And then Adama Sanogo, who's one of the best post players in the country. It's not hard to see why this formula worked. It required a couple of leaps. It required some development there from Hawkins. And it required you know Donovan Klingon being as good as he's been. Uh, UConn isn't as good as UConn was this year without Klingon being able to do that and Caravan being able to do what he did as freshman there. But outside of that, when it came to the veterans, I think the the team building strategy was clear and right from the get-go, right from the jump, it was it was working. Yeah, a dominant run by UConn and a dominant play by Adama Sinogo. I was looking up stats earlier. Um, he had 17 points in the national championship ga- game. He was the most outstanding player, and deservedly so. But he's etching his name in the list of all-time greats at UConn. Uh, not only bigs like Emeka Okafor, of course, but um, Hashim Thabit. Awesome name, by the way. He was a beast in uh, NBA 2K. Oh, my <laughs> God. I love playing with him. Um, but, yeah, I mean, he had a hunt or – Whereas 118 points for the entire tournament. Uh, Rip Hamilton at 145, Kemba with 141, Shabazz 127, Ben Gordon 127. Like these are all time grades at UConn. He's cementing himself up there with them. Yeah. And that's, I mean, it matches the eye test too. Like it's not really a surprise when you watch this team that you knew he was capable of doing it. And he has been that good at points this season, and then to go out and actually do it, it isn't it, it isn't surprising in some ways, which I think is a testament to how good this team has been. Like you didn't you didn't expect anything but that when you saw them step on the floor. I know we did a little pregame Zoom, not Zoom, um, Twitter Space. Space, yeah, Monday night, and it was just kind of us trying to find ways we thought San Diego State could compete. And they did compete for for a stretch in the second half. And outside of that stretch, I mean, UConn just dominated. Yeah, it was exactly Ryan. Exactly as we thought it was. It was Ryan who said, try and find a weakness on this UConn team right now. And I was like, oh, okay. And then I thought about it, and I was like, oh, my God, I can't. Yeah. And it's like there, there's the, the paths to beating UConn, which is you would have to force their guards to turn the ball over a lot. And you would have to get guys in foul trouble. And then you also need something else to happen. Like you need those two and you have to play really well. Like that's how you level the playing field. So then you can have a competitive game with the Huskies. And I mean, they, they, San Diego state did that for a stretch 
but I think Andre Jackson never got in foul trouble, at least not that I remember. And that, I mean, he stayed on the floor, which was huge. And he made the transition attack go and set up some threes in there that they needed. And there was a stretch where Tristan Newton was having some issues with the basketball and the Aztecs forced some turnovers and came back. But UConn dominated on the glass like they have. And Newton gave you mostly good minutes at point guard and recovered well and hit some tough buckets at the end. And that was it. That was the ball game. Yeah, I think Andre Jackson might have gotten in foul trouble in the U or the Miami game, but I'm not positive. Miami, I hey, they only, forced only three fouls in the championship. Yeah, what was that? He that Miami forced turnovers. Laranega had the script. He had the game plan ready to go. I, that was, I mean, on paper it doesn't look like a bad game from UConn. They still won by double digits. That was probably the best game plan that was drawn up against them in the entire tournament. It would have been nice to see uh, Timmy play the entire game for Gonzaga, but. I don't that probably wouldn't have mattered anyway, to be honest with you. Yeah. And the way this team played, it's uh it's something else. And the way they dominated the glass too, they only had one they they had two tournament games under a thirty percent offensive rebounding percentage. One of those was the Gonzaga one where they were twenty nine point six. That's within a rounding error of thirty percent. And the other one was Iona down at, at thirteen point no wait, sorry. That's the wrong call. St. Mary's at seventeen point four percent. But that also, I mean, they hit so many shots in that game. It didn't really, it didn't matter. The other rebounding. When you, when you got guys who rebound the way they do, Sonogo and Klingon, especially at the five, what Jackson gives you, then Caravan coming on. And it's a big team. The guards are big. I think that was also like you go from RJ Cole, who's a, a smaller guy at the point guard position, to the guys that the Huskies had out there this year. And, a lot, a lot of size to deal with. You're all, you're just gonna be so good on the defensive end when you can, and you're gonna be so good at rebounding when you bring that size to the table. And then to have those guys contribute at the other end too, it's a, a masterclass in building a roster from Dan Hurley. Masterclass all around from Dan Hurley, our friend of the show, everything college basketball. He thinks UConn's a blue blood. I love it. There's certainly a case for it. It's a fun topic to discuss, nonetheless. Yeah. Um, and they are blue, so that's one of the criteria down. They got that one. Everyone in the Big East is, except for one. Except for, yeah. Yep. Uh, ten of the 11 teams have blue in their color palette, except for the Providence Friars. Are they the only black and white team in college basketball? Think about it. It's a good question. They just might be. I think Penn they State, are. Penn State, I think. No, Penn State used to be black and pink. So they break out the black and pink uniforms. It might just be the Friars. I think it's the Friars. We'll get on that. We'll get back to you next episode. Yeah. Uh, the black, silver, and white. Did you break out the yellow occasionally? Yeah. The yeah. primary yeah. colors. Yeah. Black and white. That's what you're rolling with for the Friars. So, yeah, it's it's great stuff. Uh, one You mentioned stats earlier. Another stat. This is one I had, I had put together. There, you, the Huskies played 240 minutes in the NCAA tournament. And they led by 10 plus 10 or more points for over 116 of those minutes. So for nearly half the tournament, they were leading by double figures. Absurd. You start the game 0-0. So you have to build up that lead. (laughs) Absurd. Shout out Rick Pitino and Iona. Like crazy. They were up by 10 at one point, I believe. Iona on UConn? I think you're right early in that one. Yeah, very early, and that was like, that was a trendy upset pick. Uh, large, no, largest <laughs> largest lead for Iona was actually only four points. 
Really? Swore, I could have sworn it was more in those first couple of minutes, but I guess not. I swore. Hmm. I felt it felt like more. We've watched but a yeah. lot of college basketball, man. They all get it all together. It all, yeah, it all, it all blends together. But yeah, yeah. really good stuff down the stretch from the Huskies uh, and a really good showing from the Big East and in the whole NCAA tournament. I mean, we're one foul call away from, I mean, Creighton having a real shot at being in the title game. I don't the think they were... could have taken UConn down or Xavier because the Big East is the only conference to make UConn look human. Exactly. Um, so that would have been a really cool title game to see two, two teams from the same conference. There, two Big East teams going at it. Obviously, did not go the Blue Jays' way. And, and Creighton fans got some news today, which we're going to be talking about here in a little bit. Do we want to do our takeaways on the season? Yeah, let's go for it. Yeah, I'll I'll, uh, I'll let you go first. But we just wanted to come up with a couple big-picture thoughts on what college basketball looks like, the Big East looks like after this season or whatever, what you learned. I'll let you go first, Tommy. What's your first one? I don't even know how many. How many did you come up with? one and a half all right so give me what you got and and then i'll do mine after so my biggest takeaway is coaches coming into a new program um give them time you know when a coach comes in uh shaka smart he's been there two years look at what he did but then on the flip side of that you know um thad mata comes into butler and it looks a lot different patrick ewing comes in when's the big east tournament and then everybody knows what happens from there so coaches can change a program it may not happen in one year um there's all the landscape of college basketball is changing every single day coaches coming in coaches coming out players coming in players coming out you get the gist of it so coaches have a lot to deal with they have to recruit their own players to stay on their team now so one of the things that I learned this year is that um, coaches need time. Coaches need time to develop. When Dan Hurley said that quote, you better get us now because we're coming. I don't think he, he was thinking 2023, uh-huh. but the he, vision he was, was thinking there. the 2023 class that yeah. he was bringing in. Cause that's the thing. UConn could in theory be better next year, depending on some of these guys coming in. I'm a huge Stefan castle fan. We'll get to that when we get to that, but yeah, I mean, these coaches, they have a plan. Um, it can work out. It can't work out. Just they need time, and, you know, you got to let the cards fall where they may. Yeah, I like that. I like that a lot, and I think that is a lesson we're going to have to apply to next season with, I think, Kyle Neptune, Shaheen Holloway, Thad Mata, Kim English now. Yep. Uh, and I particularly look at the Neptune, Holloway, and Kim English trio as three young coaches there. Um, in somewhat similar positions, I think when it comes, I think all fans are going to have to have patience when, with all three. And I don't know how much patience Villanova and Providence fans in particular are going to have. And we'll see about Seton Hall fans too. So, yeah, I, I like that takeaway quite a bit. I I was going to go with um, um, the that's the saying. That there's more than one way to skin a cat. I think this season absolutely showed that off. The two top teams in the Big East, start with UConn, team that just won the national championship. So many of their key pieces here came in through the transfer portal. It was Dan Hurley recognizing the flaws of previous teams and saying to some guys, hey, we're going to let you go somewhere else and we're going to bring in some veterans who can do specific things to augment what our core players do. We're going to we're gonna rebuild around a couple guys here. So 
especially Snogo and Hawkins, and we're going to find guys that work with what they do. And we're going to go get those veterans. The other team, the double champs of the Big East, Marquette, the, it's basically the opposite strategy there. Essentially nothing in the transfer portal over the summer. One player, Zach Reitzel, and he, is, he didn't play for them really this year. That was all about cohesion. And obviously some of those guys came in the portal the year before. But the answer is, it says, if you want to be successful, there's multiple ways to do it. And it, com- it has to be some mix of internal development and getting transfers. Even Marquette has transfers, so just in there for a second year. But there isn't just one way to do that. And I think that's what makes the sport so much fun to watch. We've got a lot of teams that are trying different ways to get this done. And with the transfer portal era, it's a whole new world. And Coaches are still figuring out how to how to use this, how to not use it. And the fact that the top two teams in the conference there are ones that kind of attacked it differently, I think speaks volumes to how much that matters. And then the other part of that is you got to know your own guys and you got to be able to develop them. Marquette was all about internal improvement. UConn does not be is not what UConn was this year without Jordan Hawkins taking a huge leap. And the flip side is a team like Butler at the bottom of the conference there did not get a lot of internal growth from its players over the offseason where people expect it could happen. And that's the that's the difference. You gotta gotta take the guys you do have that are sticking around and develop them. And even guys coming in like Devin Carter and Bryce Hopkins up, up in Providence. First year in the program, but still developing guys throughout that summer to get them ready to go for their second year is huge. So those that's what I had. I love both of them were great, but I love the different ways to skin a cat one that one was fantastic well done <laughs> for you. that um yeah i that was beautifully said i don't have much more to add other than you know just take a bow big east i mean it really showed out this year um i said it? i think i think one of my bold predictions before the season or this might have been mid-season after the gavit games in the big east big 12 battle was that the Big East was going to prove itself to be a top three conference in college basketball by the end of the season. I don't think you can argue anything about that at this point. No, it's definitely top, top three. Yeah. yeah. The old, I think the only conference that you could say is better this year is the Big 12. So right. holistically, you can make the argument about the Big 10, but given what happened with Purdue, I think it's a little bit hard to really make that argument. Yeah, the Big Ten has not had a whole lot of recent success in March. Um, And they beat up on each other top to bottom every year in conference play. It's awesome. The the Big Ten is such a funny conference. I love it. Um, But, yeah, I I got the Big East. I mean, pick a day. It can go head-to-head with the Big 12. Um, And it it will next season, I think we should. Wow, what a transition. Yeah, we, we got this. We'll talk about this, and then we'll jump into the portal stuff. We got the news today officially. We got it unofficially earlier in the week. The Big East Big 12 battle for next season. The schedule is out. So we have dates. We have opponents we can get into here. A couple notes. So this is uh, the first year that it's expanding to 11 teams, 11 games, sorry, in the battle. So all 11 Big East teams are playing in it. I believe all of the Big 12 teams that are staying are still in it. And then I think one of the, I think Houston is might be the only new team that is also going to be in it. And then um, there's, there's only five Big East home games in the battle this year. There will be six next year. That's the way it's broken up. They added these two years onto the agreement, which I'm very glad they do because this is 
an incredibly fun event. Let's uh, let's get to the games. I'll read them out for you, and then you can give me uh, give me your thoughts, Tommy. And if you want to stop me at any point during this to give us some thoughts, let me know. So we are going. It starts on Thursday, November thirtieth. We got two games that night: Texas Tech at Butler and Creighton at Oklahoma State. That'll be followed up by Friday night games. We got four games on Friday night. That's December first: Iowa State at DePaul. Houston at Xavier, UConn at Kansas, and St. John's at West Virginia. Uh, we have a, a single game on Saturday. That's TCU at Georgetown. And then the finale will be the following Tuesday, December 5th. Four games that night. Texas at Marquette, Providence at Oklahoma, Villanova at Kansas State, and Seton Hall at Baylor. We're already talking about next year's games, and we just we just put away this past season. But what stands out to you about that list of games? We never sleep, Matt. John Rothstein may sleep in April or May, but we never <laughs> sleep. Um, no, but what sticks out to me, uh, of course, the Shaka Smart game. I know you're a big Shaka Smart guy. I'm not mm-hmm. huge on him, so I'll let you get that one. What sticks out to me, um, what's going to be appointment television for any and all uh, college basketball fans, is going to be the UConn-Kansas game. The 2022 national champions versus the 2023 national champions. This is going to be great. Um, I mean, I think they did a fantastic job of matching these teams up for the most part. I don't love the four games on Tuesday night to finish it out. It's a little wonky, but... And it and it's four on Friday, four on Tuesday. I thought I was looking at the wrong dates on my calendar when I first pulled this up because I figured it was going to go Monday through Saturday or Monday right. through Sunday, not Thursday through Tuesday. But You would think, but they have a plan. Um, yeah, there's just so many good games in here. I mean, even the like TCU at Georgetown, that could be a sneaky, fun game. And you know what? Uh, in, the thing I take away from that one, as this is one I was going to mention, Providence just played TCU last season, so Ed Cooley is intimately familiar with what the Horn Frogs do. Obviously, he was in the recruiting mix for Eddie Lampkin as a transfer, who was from TCU. He went to Colorado, so that won't play a part in this. But uh, two coaches that are very familiar with each other there, and Jamie Dixon and Ed Cooley, which I think makes that. A little bit more interesting, and that'll be the standalone game in this. That'll be the one Saturday game. Yeah, yeah, that's we did a pretty good job of of breaking all of that down. I do like the Villanova Kansas State game. I'm a huge fan of Jerome Tang. Who knows what these rosters are going to look? That's why I hate all these uh, way too early rankings and and the the projected lineups coming out now we have no idea who's going where at this georgetown, point georgetown and st john's have like three players and butler right. have like three players each at this point like literally two or three players each like it's yeah. crazy but um yeah i mean these teams are going to look different the two people that i know for the most i would hope jerome tang and kyle neptune are still at the helm of their programs barring something yes. going terribly wrong uh <laughs> but yeah that's gonna be a, that, that's gonna be a fun matchup yeah, will be. I like that one. Uh, Providence at Oklahoma is uh, definitely an interesting one to me. Oklahoma does not have a win in the battle yet. They're zero and four, and this is only their second home game. They played Butler at home two years ago and lost that one. So I think that's the, like they're going to try to defend home floor. That is a little bit interesting. Creighton at Oklahoma State, I think, 
has potential to be interesting. Obviously, Texas at Marquette. Shaka Smart's old school coming to town. I think there's going to be a lot of emotions in that one. Uh, for Rodney Terry at Texas, that's going to be a huge test or a huge early season test there for the Longhorns to see what they're made of. Obviously, a big test for the Golden Eagles to see if they can repeat the success that they had this season, likely bring back almost the entire same group of guys. And that should just be a high-level basketball on that Tuesday night. Seton Hall at Baylor and the, the Texas Tech at Butler games. We'll see what those turn out to look like once we get rosters set here. Uh, St. John's at West Virginia, too, is one. Like Bob Huggins there against Rick Pitino. Uh, St. John's seen it struggled away from home last year. So a, a tougher schedule already next season for the Red Storm. And they had non-conference play this year, I think. And we'll see how they're able to adapt to that. And then Houston at Xavier. I mean, that's a team that was basically number one in the country for a long stretch in Houston. And we don't know what the Xavier team is going to look like next season. Colby Jones is now gone. A couple of bench guys in the transfer portal. So we're going to see what the Musketeers look like. And that's still figuring itself out. But that's Sean Miller against Kelvin Sampson. Another fantastic coaching matchup. So I think we're we're in for a lot of very good games here. We sure, sure are. Shall we move on to the transfer portal? Yeah. Uh, do we just start with the big news today? Oh, geez. So I didn't know if you heard my the video on the ESPN app started playing. On. <laughs> it it always does that. Autoplay is the worst thing ever created. Uh, I will weird. go to my grave saying that. But uh, yeah, Ryan Nemhard today throwing his name in the transfer portal. Not something that I think many of us saw coming. There's a guy who's been an incredible player for Greg McDermott and the Blue Jays out there. I think the name that was thrown around by Jeff Goodman on this was Arizona. We will see if that's where he ends up, but there's a Creighton team that I've seen in a lot of top preseason, top 10s, top 15s on the basis of returning all or most of the guys. And that's one of the starters gone and a, a huge one at that. A guy I think you could argue would have been preseason first team, depending on who was going to be in the conference. Could certainly, certainly argue that. And that's a lot of guard depth for Creighton gone. Um, ben Schultzberg and Sharif Mitchell, defensive player of the year, Sharif Mitchell, if you ask our friend Chris <laughs> Zidenga. Um, so that, that was me making that comment. He's a supporter of it, though. I'm sure he would have bought merch. <laughs> fair, fair, fair. Um, yeah, anyways, that's three guys this week entering the transfer portal um, for the Creighton Blue Jays at – Ryan Nemhard, 12.1 points, four rebounds, almost five assists a game on 43% from the field last year for Creighton. Great stats. I would like to see him at a bigger program. I, you know, Arizona's a great program. You know, you have that Tommy Lloyd connection with his brother. Um, but what I would like to see him at is Kentucky. I, I really like the, the Nemhard to Kentucky thing that I saw earlier. Um, with the uncertainty of Robert Dillingham and his status with the whole overtime elite thing and the mm -hmm. Xavier Wheeler transfer, they're getting DJ Wagner in. I think Ryan Nemhard would be a great addition to that offense. I think with, with how Ryan ne how good Nemhard is, I think he'd be a good addition to just about any offense in fair. the country. And I, I guarantee you there are some a lot of Big East fans who are like, hey, we, uh, we wouldn't mind him making an in-conference transfer. 
I know our Providence group chat today was was popping once the Nimhard name got thrown out there after he made it. He, he was a huge part of Creighton forcing overtime at Providence this season. He basically single-handedly made that happen at the end of regulation. I think that left an imprint on Providence fans. He's a very good player. We're not that far removed from him scoring 30 points against Baylor in the NCAA tournament. So incredibly talented player. That's a blow to the Blue Jays. They had Isaac Tr- Trout. Is that how you say it? Trout? Trout, I think. I, I think you got it. I think the D silent. Yeah. Uh, he came in for them in the portal, which will help help them out. Uh, give them a little bit of depth there in the front court. But that back court, they need a, a, one or two guys who can play and give them real minutes um, for next season. And uh, we'll see how Greg McDermott answers that and how they address this. That'll be something... Uh, before we before we wrap up, anything else in the portal interesting to you right now? There's a lot of names in there from the Big East. Anything surprise you? Anything you want to talk about? Um, I want to talk about the Providence Friars. I know you're going to want to talk about them. So uh, one thing that stands out to me um, is the Grant E.K. speculation um, regarding Providence. Now, they just brought in Josh Odoro from George Mason. I hope that's how you pronounce it. Yeah, it's Odura. And then they got Justin Fernandez coming over from the Patriots, too. Yeah. And Odura was fantastic last year. 15.6 points per game, 7.9 rebounds. He's a great player. Bryce Hopkins coming back. So I'm not sure how Graham EK would fit in there. Um, I was interested to get your thoughts on that. I think that's – it's – I think you're just going to have to, assuming I think EK is taking a visit next weekend, the weekend after, whenever the dead period's over. Yeah. yeah. Um, I would expect just a full-on center competition between EK and Oduro, if that's the case. And I do think the other news here, we're talking about the portal, is who isn't portaling. And that's, look at this Providence team. This is a group, how often do you see a coaching change? And you basically have no personnel change. The Friars, the only guy who has entered the portal is Jared Bynum, a guy who I think many people in Providence didn't even know he had eligibility remaining. He just got celebrated at senior day. I think the expectation was that he was done after this year. So I think he's taking a visit to Florida at some point soon. Uh, Might have been today. So Bynum is gone. Jaden Pierre enters the transfer portal. And actually, immediately after we recorded our last episode was when Kim English goes on Instagram lives and he played him one V one to come out of the portal that obviously ended up working. Pierre came out. Carter is staying Hopkins staying. It's obviously a situation involving Alan breed right now. I'm not, I don't think we know enough to comment on that and whether or not he'll be on the team next year, but what you're looking at for next year is the only, the only losses you're having are uh, a, a guy who would have been a grad student who you weren't counting on having guys who are leaving anyway out of eligibility who you counted on and not having and maybe Alan Breed who was a role player as a guard and one or two recruits coming in because Garway Duell uh, decommitted but is still entertaining Providence Drew Fielder commits to Georgetown and Drew Santoro I think it's Drew Santoro uh, Donovan Santoro stayed with the Friars so they're going to basically keep everything that they had to build around for next year. I don't know the last time you saw that with a coaching change as significant as this. Uh, Kyle Neptune. Yeah. And that's a guy <laughs> who was essentially in the program. <laughs> like that's. No, 
Um, that's uh, if that's mm-hmm. that's the only thing we can really compare it to, and that's I mean that's it's wild to have it happen like this. Yeah, I'm just pulling your leg, but yeah, it's 100 percent true. Uh, it's just so strange that nobody followed Cooley to Georgetown. I thought at Except least two recruits. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I'm like active players. No one Yeah, them. That's crazy to me. Yeah. You never see that nowadays. But I think the NCAA transfer rule uh, changing around second <clears throat> transfers had something to do with that because Corey Floyd, Devin Carter, and Bryce Hopkins are all guys who would have had to sit out a year in all likelihood if they transferred again. So that'll keep that'll help keep them in Providence, but they're, they're there. They're going to be in the Big East next season at Providence, and we'll see how that plays out. Taking it back to EK and Oduro, if, if EK does end up committing, which the crystal balls out there seem to think he will, then I, I don't know if the center group is as good as it's been the last couple of years with Ed Croswell and with Nate Watson there, but it is not a bad center group. You should have two very capable players there for the Friars next season. I think and a lot be- of upside. It could be really good, but it gives you a solid floor with Hopkins and Carter and Corey Floyd probably being the guys you build around. I love Graham EK. I, I, I've not watched a minute of Josh Oduro play basketball. I'm not even going <laughs> to lie to you. I, I've read great things, but I'm not an avid George Mason uh, watcher. Yeah. But um, I, I really like Graham EK. I think he can fit into what Kim English is trying to do um, fantastically. You know, the, the passing numbers don't jump off the page, but I've seen some of the passes he makes, he's made. Um, great stuff. He's gonna he's gonna fit in real well. I agree. Uh, I think one last note on this: just teams where you're gonna see a lot of change next season. Um, we've got let's see, I think six players out at Butler, <laughs> and then eight at Georgetown, nine at Georgetown, and eight <laughs> at St. John's. Those rosters are going to look entirely different next season entirely different uh, um, so um, shout, be... out, shout out eugene we're looking at his big east yeah uh conference eugene offer tracker eugene, yeah, eugene repay of vu hoops he does awesome stuff go check out his twitter he has the big east offer tracker and transfer tracker on there and also shout out our own ryan casty who has his own transfer tracker so look cross-reference both of those one of at least one of them will be up to date with how fast things change i'll give you an idea of where things stand any other transfer stuff stand out to you before we uh, call it an episode? I'm just happy Justin Moore's back. It's not. Oh yeah, that's. But it's. It's the lack of him portaling. That is the uh, lack of him portaling. That is notable. His girlfriend just committed to Maryland today, and he's from that area. He could have very easily went home. I know the on three crystal ball has been a hundred percent for Hunter Dickinson to Maryland for like the last week and a half. So he could have teamed up with his high school buddy and girlfriend at Maryland, but he did not. He stayed at Villanova and that is huge. I I mean, we're talking about a preseason player of the year caliber guy for Villanova. It's immense. Him staying. Yeah. That'll be huge for the Wildcats next season. We'll be sticking with you. We're not entirely sure what our content plan is going to look like now that we're in the off season. We'll try to stay up to date with the portal as things change. Um, and just discuss whatever's going on. I think we're going to have probably a little bit less regular. Um, and I think we also just need a little bit of time off here after how hectic the last couple of months have been. But this is this is it for the 22-23 season. So uh, we appreciate the support from everybody. Everybody tuning in all year long. It's been awesome to see. And 
we're uh, we're excited for another year of this. Yeah, thank you all so much. Whether you've interacted with Matt, me, Chris the Ding, and Michael DeRose, I, I could go on all day. The Cassidy brothers, whoever. Um, whether you've interacted with one of us, all of us, Road to the Garden. I mean, the support's been amazing in our first year. Seeing the numbers grow um, from the first episode to now, uh, we couldn't have done it without you guys. We're so excited. We have such big plans for next year. We're excited to share some news with you. It's it's going to be even better next year. Thank you for this year, and uh, we can't wait to be back. Yeah, excited for that. Uh, one other piece on that, I'll give a, a shout-out here to the Stores South Twitter account. It's the owner of the winning bracket of our challenge challenge this year so shout out to you you uh currently have a t-shirt and route and uh yeah a nice little road to the garden t-shirt so thank you all for signing up for our bracket challenge too that was a blast to do that and i think we're gonna call it an episode for tommy gooden i'm at st gene wrapping up the 2022 23 regular season we will be back sometime soon as we get prepared for the 23 24 season Subscribe to our YouTube channel, follow us on Twitter, read the blog, subscribe wherever you're listening to this to stay updated, and uh, we'll see you next time. Thanks for listening.